Can you imagine a world immune to all forms of cancer? Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come for our fourth annual live stream for the cure. And this year, we need your help more than ever. Please join us May 27th through May 31st for 48 hours of live content from guests and podcasts around the world. We'll be aiming for our most ambitious goal to date as we try to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com for more information on this year's event and how you can be a part of it. Together, we can make a difference. Okay, here we go. Welcome, everybody. It is time yet again to travel through history for the Something Something cast. Something Something, yeah. I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob. And we are still in the middle of uh, living our separate lives all together. How are you doing, sir? Doing all right. Day 37, something like that. Um, That was actually supposed to be a joke. That's actually fairly close. No, that's accurate. That's... Yeah. <laughs> Pretty close. Yeah. I'm currently now testing uh, the blood of the people in my house to make sure that none of them are infected. It's like the thing in here. Oh, there you yeah, go. The the dog died, which is weird because we didn't have a dog. Yeah, that's mm, curious. And I can totally see your wife being the, the dude that's duct taped to the couch. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, she goes well with that. Oh, yeah. Well, how much do we want to get into the like the story of how we got to this episode, or do you just want to get straight to our special I guest know, and get I think right on it? We in? just go right to the episode. Fair enough. I think we just go right to it. Uh, waiting in the wings with us, uh, the wonderful, talented uh, Meredith Placco is joining us today. Meredith, how are you? Friend Woo! of show. Ah, I I'm here. I am alive. <laughs> I have been in quarantine since March thirteenth. I don't know what century it is anymore. <laughs> yep. You know, I, I actually started the, the 14th was the day I left work early when they said, you know, if you're not feeling comfortable, you can go later. Yeah, we uh, uh, we had just gotten back from the Game Association Manufacturers of America conference in Reno, Nevada, where we were in a in a casino hotel in Reno for a, a, like five days straight. Well, when we left, it was kind of like, oh yeah, there's this coronavirus thing going on. It's a little dicey, but you know, we'll be fine. And throughout that five days was when things just started to slowly fall apart mm-hmm. for the country. And by the time we got home, it was like quarantine time. And we're like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, for, that happened. for us, it was Thursday. Bosses say, hey, we know this is happening. Let's just get a couple plans in place. Friday was, yep, uh, we're going to move to to light staff. Those can work home, can work home. Monday it was, okay, company's closed for two weeks. Go. <laughs> like, what? Ah. Oh. You went still... to Reno just to watch a game die. 
Yeah, I mean, like you know, I it was it's funny though. I mean, you know, being new to the uh, manufacturer side on the tabletop uh, gaming side, it was interesting to kind of go and be part of that world because um, everyone was so excited, and we had hand sanitizer and we were washing our hands a lot. But we were all excited about all these new games coming out. Also, some of the bigger uh, distributors didn't come out and the bigger manufacturers so it gave like the little guys like uh more independent companies chances to get one-on-one time with retailers so mm-hmm. hopefully uh some good things have come of it and i and i will say like for for the craziness that is going on in this world um you know looking on the the inside of the tabletop uh gaming world and retailers while a lot of people are struggling because of online sales a lot of retailers are able to maintain and it's it's interesting to see and uh i'm just going to say this that uh if you want to buy something don't buy it on amazon go to your uh go to an independent gaming store your your local friendly gaming store buy from them online support them support them support them right now because they really need it Hells yes. Sorry, yep. that's just me. Rah, rah, rah. No, no, never, never apologize yeah. for supporting not only the, the tabletop industry, but local. Yes. I'm all about, you know, Rob and I both have our history with, with board games. Oh, uh, yay. So. Dude, and if, if it wasn't for living in Southern California and like almost a good majority of our uh, produce is here or Mexico, I'm able to buy from like local farms. I, I've been hearing from friends in other parts of the US that they can't get fresh produce because it's all going bad before people can sell Ugh, it. So horrible. I know. Anyways, enough about that. That's all depressing stuff. We're not here to talk about coronaviruses and lockdowns and stuff. <laughs> no, we're here to talk about tragedies of years in the past. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, the the past plagues. <laughs> Rob, what's this episode about? Uh, this episode, we are discussing our top five period pieces. Now, Ooh, there was some discussion as to what a period piece entails. Uh, so, just to clarify here, according to Wikipedia, a historical drama, also period drama, costume drama, and period piece, is a work set in a pastime period, usually used in the context of film and television. Historical drama includes historical fiction and romances, adventure films, and swashbucklers. A period piece may be set in a vague or general area, such as the Middle Ages, <laughs> or a specific <laughs> period, Sorry. such as the Roaring Twenties. Just the con- It's a vague terminology. The, the movie happens uh, over there. Yeah, I, and to that, to that, I will add there there are costume dramas and romances. There's also historical and historical fiction, and apparently, in the world of period dramas, there is what is called reality period dramas, in which contestants are put to live in a setting of uh, of a historical context, uh, like the very short-lived ABC show, The Quest, in which there were contestants that had to live as if they were in a fantasy Middle Ages type we are, setting. We are very familiar with the show, The yep. Quest. Meredith, are you yes. familiar with our sort of connection with The Quest? With Bonnie. Yes. 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 And about almost four years ago, mm-hmm. uh, we did a quote-unquote reunion episode where we got most of the paladins and a bunch of the uh, actor players who played the NPCs from the show all on Skype at the same time. It did like a two hour interview oh with God. all of them. The transcontinental Skype call. 
Oh yeah. Oh, how fun. It was fun. It was like whack-a-mole because because like we had people who were it was like five o'clock in the morning in Austria and it was eight o'clock our time, but because of uh, daylight savings, it only affected some people and not everybody, so the times were all wonky and it was just reconnecting calls that dropped. But oh uh, it was gosh. a lot of fun. Yeah. No, we were very familiar with the quest. That was a great show yeah. too. And it's coming it, it, back on Disney Plus. Is it? Oh my god, I'm so glad. They're, they're it was recasting really... for a, a more teenage uh, oh, age group of uh, paladins. Okay. But uh they uh, apparently all the show runners and creative uh group from it uh are all coming back. Oh, that's fantastic. So, uh, and I think I they're ask... filming at the same castle too. I just really hope they bring the guy who played Sir Ansgar back because he was like worth every moment of screen time. That guy was hilarious. Yeah, he maybe was unintentionally. Uh, also, random story. I mean, obviously, I think we all know that we all know Bonnie, but uh, I got to hang out with Shondo when I was at in Texas oh, nice. for a convention. That dude is awesome and hilarious. And like, I don't know, man, Shondo lives the best Shondo life. And I am so happy for him. <laughs> yeah, we I follow him on Twitter and he's. Uh, everything that you see in the show, like none of that is for the cast. Yeah. Every, yeah, <laughs> that is all the guy Sean, yeah. he is. Yeah, and in person, like when once he's like off all the, like off the internets and stuff, that's who he is. And I love yeah. when people are their genuine selves because it makes me really happy. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I'm good, good, happy to know that the quest is back. Um, now, now bring back. Uh, oh God, what was that? The musical uh, medieval fantasy show with Timothy Oliphant? Oh, okay. No, not cop rock. <laughs> Gallivant? Gallivant. Oh, yes. I love Gallivant. Funny connection. Those of us who were hoping that there was going to be a quest return kind of realized that that may not happen because we started seeing a lot of costuming pieces from the quest show up on Gallivant. <laughs> well, it's all owned by ABC Studios, so they all yeah. pull from the same uh, archives. Which is yeah, it was like, like if you take those three people and yeah. combine them together, they're wearing all of oh, Sir my... Ansgar's stuff. Like, <laughs> what's going on? Oh my God, I have to go back and rewatch. Um, yeah, it's uh, that's the, the really cool thing about the costume shops um, that the studios have that they uh, can just start pulling pieces. Like one of my favorite things is to see what historical dresses will end up in various movies, especially when you get to like medieval Renaissance and uh, Rococo Georgian era stuff. Because and, and the way you'll see it styled, because sometimes you'll see a dress that was absolutely beautiful on one girl, but then they put on someone else and they don't use the proper foundation garments. And you're like, what the fuck? That's frumpy as hell anyways yeah. funny enough you you say that and it ties back towards our topic but uh on the costume shop prop discussion and i it's a long time since i saw this there used to be a website that cataloged the newspaper there's one sort of well-known newspaper prop and it's in like a thousand movies so oh you can see God. the same newspaper in like glenn gary glenn ross as you see in i don't know random goonies I love that. Um, and it just so happens because it's sort of the, the one that the, the head prop yeah. shop had and they just distributed it around. So now it's like the generic newspaper movie prop. Yeah, it's it's especially now the, the there's not as many prop houses here in Los Angeles. Um, you know, obviously, again, you have the studios that have their own and then there's like a couple really big big guys that have their their own stuff um so you do see the stuff circulated but i love when you have fans who are that dedicated that they'll do the the spot the prop mm -hmm. uh, 
And now one of my one of my things I'm actually kind of excited about with uh, a project I'm working on is uh, getting to go to some of the prop houses to rent stuff for when we do this photo shoot for this uh, gargantuan dress that I'm making. Do you want to reveal said uh, said uh, gargantuan so, dress or is so, this? Uh, so there was this 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 incident that happened this week where I didn't have internet for two days and um, life was hell uh, because it's bad enough I can't leave my house. Imagine not leaving your house. Uh, and not having internet because that's all we have in this day and age. We have nothing else. I don't know what a book is. I don't, I don't, I don't have cable. What's cable. I mean, even my PlayStation, I couldn't play any games because it wasn't connected to the internet. So I decided to just, um, go full, uh, 1800s and start, uh, mostly hand sewing a period, uh, Rococo Marie Antoinette style gown. You would think after 25 plus 20, 20 years. I don't, I don't want to overage myself. 20 years of costuming. I would have done one of these projects by now, but they're intimidating as all can be. So I just finally decided that I have the wherewithal to work on it. I also just happen to have like 20 yards of not at all period accurate taffeta that was just sitting here. So it's not like I had to go buy the fabric. I mean, excuse me. Uh, this, this fabric I think was two, $2, $3 a yard. So Ooh. I'm doing, uh, extant, which, uh, to, uh, using period techniques and period patterns and based off period garments itself to make a dress out of thoroughly modern, completely inaccurate fabrics. And it's going to be gaudy as all hell, like, like bubblegum pink <laughs> with like teal accents, gaudy. I'll say that the first time I spoke with you and heard you were into costuming, the first thing I thought was now there is a person who has done a Marie Antoinette in the Rococo stylings of the Elizabethan in bright pink. I just, I thought I've that. Done, yeah. Well, I've done Elizabethan. I've definitely <laughs> wow. done Elizabethan. Um, the, that, uh, that, that was for the world cosplay summit 2012. That was a dress that I spent as much on that dress as it would have cost me a trip to Japan if I had won. WCS. So in hindsight, I should have just used that money to go to Japan. <laughs> it's Japan. <laughs> ah, so yeah, that's, that's what I've been working on. And now that the internet's back, uh, I actually um, am now like knee deep in sewing. It's almost like I, I burst that, that little, uh, I peeled off the bandaid as they say, I burst that zit. Oh, and the, now, yeah. The, the writer's block for yeah, dress creation. Exactly. And now I'm, I'm full in on making this. It's actually turning out to be a really fun project. And, and also what, what I didn't have years ago when I first started doing this, uh, because, you know, I'm using patterns and, and flat patterns from a series of books from this, uh, designer, Janet Arnold. Um, but now because of YouTube and amazing people, there's uh, a lot of like how-to videos of people actually showing the technique. And so I've been following this other costumer by the name of Angela Clayton, who she actually has some patterns out on the commercial pattern companies. But she's put together a very similar style uh, dress to the one that I'm doing. Um, so I've been able to watch her techniques, which is immense in helping me learn what the heck I'm doing. That was a very lot cool. of material that I'm like, I, I, that's all very impressive. I know nothing about this world. That is yeah, <laughs> I, I just figured, I figured I'd, I'd, I'd name drop. No, please do. One out there who is interested in this project, they can look up Janet Arnold and Angela Clayton as a, a starting point. And now, uh, yeah, I didn't mean that as insulting. It was more so no. like, I didn't know that there were people out there like who have, I don't know, YouTube channels specifically about the stylings of which you make the cosplay. Yeah, like, no, it's like great. that into, uh, intimate. 
Yeah, it's it's amazing, uh, especially for the historical uh, costumers, um, not just SCA, but uh, I'm part of an 18th century sewing group on Facebook. Um, you know, blogs were the big, big thing in the 90s and 2000s. Now a lot of that has, I will say, gone to social media. Um, but there are still so many people who keep uh, amazing blogs that if you have any sort of like questions like, okay, how do I do, you know, an Elizabethan collar or how do I do um, a double box pleat or, you know, certain like, what well, you know, how do I make a, uh, a robe a la Francais? There's several people now who show very detailed steps and it's, it's really helpful and really useful, especially because um, I will definitely say for some of the more commercial patterns, like Simplicity put out a Marie Antoinette pattern some years ago. And I don't, I, I think the reason I never made the dress is I, I've started this project several, several times in the past and the pattern instructions are just like, they just make jumps from like A to, to X2. And I'm like, how did they get to the step? And it doesn't make any sense. So it's great to be able to visually see what you're doing. Like already for the skirt portion of this, I've gone back and redone it three times because I finally watched Angela Clayton do her pocket hoop skirt. And I'm like, oh, that's how you do these pleats. So... I know. Super fascinating stuff, guys. I it, totally understand. It is. I just it don't is. know how to... Uh, my, I know. My brain is going, how do I get pleated skirts to period films? Shit, this is a tough one. Well, you do. It's, it's exactly right there because it actually... Well, if you want to dive right in, it ties directly into my first pick. Ha Period films. So, uh, do we need any more introduction of how we're doing this or can I just dive right in? I think you should just keep right. going. So... <laughs> So my first uh, favorite period film, uh, which so many people, uh, especially in the historical accuracy department of moviegoers, give this film so much shit. But I love it for all of its pomp and circumstance and gaudiness and music and art direction is the 2006 Sofia Coppola Marie Antoinette starring Kirsten Dunst as... I, the titular queen herself. Does that movie get a lot of shit? I thought it was sort of highly lauded in well, some it was, circles. It, it was in the artistic movie directory circles, but in the the very particular group of period costume makers, uh, a lot of them don't like that movie because the costumes are not... not necessarily period accurate they're bright you know it features music all from the new wave era it's it's you know not the most uh accurate telling of marie antoinette's life but you know what it's gorgeous it's fun it's tragic it is a period drama and a costume drama through and through um and i love when when films find the right way to kind of merge the the modern with the past and i uh, the soundtrack is actually something i listen to multiple times a week uh because it's just absolutely i mean come on it's got like aphex twin and the cure and oh wow okay yeah i mean that is deep in the new wave yeah i mean it is pretty much um all all new wave but the 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 costumes are just eye candy visually like the color palette i think is one of my favorite things uh from that movie is just the the bright colors and the sweets and i don't know i think i think it's it's just a really sad story about a young girl who's married off and and into you know uh, from a wealthy family into a wealthy family that's on the brink of a revolutionary change and you know she wants to please her husband but her husband's kind of a a dope i mean he's played by jason schwartzman so uh and then you know she ends up finding 
uh, lust, if not love, in the arms of another man, you know? Is it is it uh, given that it has like the new versus the old? Is it like a Baz Luhrmann? Because I'm a huge Baz Luhrmann fan. So. Yeah, I would definitely, you know, be, no one's singing. Definitely no one. It's not a musical. Gotcha. But, you know, you'll definitely have like Bow Wow Wow's Aphrodisiac or Hong Kong Garden from Susie and the Banshees dropping in for uh, okay. certain certain parts of the movie. But it definitely has that Baz Luhrmann feel for sure. Rob, have you ever seen it? I have not, but I'm, I'm looking at a bunch of the pictures from the costuming and the costuming, I mean, it looks amazing. And for me, not knowing much about the costuming world, I wouldn't look at this movie and say that there was anything amiss. But I get Meredith's point where people who are very into this could look at this and, and nitpick it. I think it's kind of like the difference between <clears throat> like a Renaissance festival and the SCA. Exactly. You know, like you can you can make stuff that looks good that people will look at and go, oh, okay, cool, I get it. But then you'll have other people that are like that fabric wasn't existing. And yeah, okay, relax. Oh, you know, nobody's. We've both worn tartan before. I'm sure you've gotten the same. That's not a common color that was used in the. Yeah. They didn't have purple or so your tartan can't yeah. be. Shut yeah, up, Nick. Stupid. Yeah, it's definitely one of those. But like you know, I I, I kind of have this. I I love. I love historical accuracy so much, but I also love when you can take something and subvert it and just make it your own. Mm -hmm. And uh, Melina Cananero, uh, who was the costume designer on the film, did such a beautiful job. That is excellent. I it's when I think you can tell me the name of that movie, and I can see the movie poster in my head. I've just never actually watched the film. I'm gonna have to put it on my list. Yeah. Also, are you guys uh, are you guys fans at all of uh, Wes Anderson films like Darjeeling Unlimited or um, Life Aquatic or Grand Budapest? Yes, I really like. Yes, okay. I really okay. like Grand Budapest. Same same costume designer uh, that Wes Anderson uses. Okay, so so it's got a quirk to it too. Yeah, and even though different cinematographer, very similar color palettes. I would say Ex definitely quirky. Excellent. First one down. Rob, what you got? So uh, for my first one, uh, I went back to uh, late 1800s London. Uh, I went with the 2009 Sherlock Holmes film. Hmm. Uh, I love this movie. I thought the overall, uh, just the acting was great, but I really liked the feel of... Uh, not only the sets, uh, but the costuming to bring that late 1800s, early 1900s, turn of the century kind of London alive. Um, it just had a real gritty kind of feel to it. Uh, and it's it's one of my more entertaining movies to watch. I rewatched both of those, I want to say, a couple months ago. And I just I mm -hmm. forgot how pretty they are just from... And when I say pretty, they're they're dirty movies. You know, they they're in the the sort of grimy streets of London, but um, they are so well put together and sort of you feel the town, you can smell the town. Yep. Um, and Sherlock isn't sort of an upper crust ha 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 that you might see in some versions. Um, he's in his house and it's like wall to wall. He's a hoarder. It's wall to wall trash. And yeah. you know, every part of that movie just sort of exudes personality mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and just like the the part where you see like uh, London Bridge kind of like being half built, uh, and just the river and and the streets looking. I mean, yeah, it's it's not a it's a pretty movie, but it's not a pretty movie. Uh, right. But I think that's kind of why it is. <clears throat> Excuse me, just because they make they they give you that feel uh, and make it look so authentic. Uh, that this movie is set where if they ever did like a Gotham by Gaslight live action oh, movie, like sir. that would be, oh. that would be the setting because it, it's like, that's it. It's, it's 1800s Gotham. It's, it's, it's yeah. very well put together and very visually stunning in its, uh, in its description of the time period. I would agree. That's a good choice. I'm, and now I want to reread Gotham by Gaslight. Um, Good stuff. Was this, just real quick, was that Sherlock film the one that sort of rebooted RDJ after he had all of his legal and, and social and things going on? Did it Did it come before the first Iron Man? That's what I'm trying to remember. That's exactly what I was uh, trying to remember. I want to say I, yes, but... I, I want to say it came... At, I could be Iron wrong. Man okay, one. Sherlock Holmes 2009. Oh, within then, a year. Yeah, okay. So I guess he... It was during his comeback... Uh, his comeback tour. Yeah. Cause Iron Man 2008. So it was all, all in that same time frame. Yeah. He just went, he came out of the, out of the gates running. Holy shit. That's awesome. I know. All right. My first one is probably the, only, it's probably the only one on this move, uh, my list here that is a traditional, uh, I think sort of period film that like there would be no, well, period film should be from now to here. Uh, it is, the most lauded of the films on my list, having won tons of awards, uh, came out in 1968. Stars Peter O'Toole, Catherine Hepburn, Anthony Hopkins, a really young Timothy Dalton. It is The Lion in Winter. Ooh. Good um, stuff. Very good. Set in Christmas 1183. It is all about... Um, Eleanor of Aquitaine trying to marry off her sons and they're all together for the first time in a very long time. And it's just backbiting and snarling. It's family dysfunction. Um, that when I first saw it, probably, I don't know, 17, 18, I was, <coughs> pardon me. I, I don't have much of a head for, for old language movies. Um, takes I me like a couple that word. That's a good word couple times it takes me a couple times to get through like a, a Shakespeare mm-hmm. and I enjoy it but it's it's like doing a puzzle I have to figure it out um, this movie has such crisp and brutal dialogue that I was in tears laughing at some of the fights that they're having um, Catherine Hepburn acts her balls off in this film top to bottom one of my favorite period movies I probably should have put it as my last one on the list but I'm putting it as my first one just so I can feel like I know what I'm talking about with period drama that's a good one that's I actually want to go back I wa- I've seen it once when I was very very young because I used to watch a lot of American movie classics um, and Turner <laughs> movie classics you know when they played movies all the time right uh, so I probably haven't seen it since I was a teen but I I feel like it's a good one to go revisit. Yeah, I just even looking through the uh, IMDb quotes, like, again, I haven't seen it since I was probably in my early 20s. I first saw it first in my late teens. And I remember literal scenes, which is unusual for movies I love, let alone movies that are sort of completely outside my wheelhouse. Mm. All right. Very cool. Very, very cool. Swinging back to you, Meredith, where you got? 
All right, so we're going to go down to 1991, and we're going to leave the West and head on over to China to look at Raise the Red Lantern. This was a period film uh, from uh, Zhang Yimao, was the director, and it takes place in 1920s China, just sort of uh, on the cusp of their own revolution and war. And it follows a tragic story of Song Lian as she becomes the fourth wife to a wealthy man. While at first she's treated kind of like royalty, uh, she soon learns the real nature of the household, the backbiting, baiting, and ultimate degradation that all the wives put each other through to gain their husband's favor. You know, underneath all these gorgeous costumes and cinematography, the film is a stark look at the basis levels of human natures. Hmm. And uh, I love it. It's it's It was one of the first foreign films I had seen when I was a teenager. And it has always struck with me uh, through just the, the visuals. And then as I you know, grew uh, older and, and understood a lot more about uh, Chinese culture, especially around the 19-teens and 20s. I, it took on a different life of its own, even though a lot of Chinese audiences would argue that this film was technically made with a Western audience in mind. Really? It's still... Yeah, yeah, and it was actually banned in China when it first came out. The uh, the uh, screenplay was approved, but when the ultimate ultimately when the film came out, it was banned in China, which I uh, suspect actually has to do with maybe it having a bit stronger of a presence here on the in the West uh, because they were able to secure distribution. I remember the first time I watched it, I had rented it from uh, my local gaming store that had like foreign films and anime. Um, and I, I was just like, oh, this looks pretty. And I was like, wow, this is really something. Um, and the the lead actress, uh, Lee Gong, um, she's fantastic. And she's actually going to be making, uh, she's, she's been in Western stuff since, but her big, uh, big, big thing that she has coming out, I guess this year, whenever Mulan comes out, she's going to be playing the big bad. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I really, I wish... I loved, I wish I liked foreign film more because I read through sort of the summaries and I go, I, this this sounds like a movie that I would enjoy, except then I get into watching it and it's such a different storytelling style. It's much slower. There's a much more sort of pay attention to every nuance of yes. movement and gesture. And it's my ADHD brain just sort of like falls off the side. And I know for some people, subtitles are are really hard for them to read. Um, you know, when when watching a film, so I, I understand it's it is definitely something like you know worth worth watching if okay. you get the chance. Yeah, it looks gorgeous. I threw up the some of the pictures of the the costumes and the looks. It looks. Does it do? And I've noticed this in in a couple of the the foreign Japanese films I've seen. Um, since it's called Red Lanterns, is there a lot of color, like note of this is yeah, the Red I mean, Lantern, yeah. like everything's yeah, in I its mean, palettes? Yeah, there is definitely color. I mean, color, color in a, specifically in a lot of Chinese period, uh, you'll see color used as a device and as a character. But the Red Lantern specifically refer to that whoever is going to be the chosen concubine or wife of the night, they put up Red Lanterns outside of her particular abode. So they know that she's the one who's being visited by the, the master of the house. Mm. Um, so that is kind of where that comes in. But red, uh, red definitely plays a huge Huge, huge, huge uh, piece in this film. Very, very interesting. Rob. So <clears throat> I go from 1800s London to 1800s New York. 
Uh, my second choice is Gangs of New York by <laughs> Scorsese. Love it. Uh, Absolutely I love amazing. this movie. Uh, it is a long movie, but it never feels too long. Like, whatever it's on, I'll sit there and watch the whole thing, but it, it never feels like it's actual runtime of, you know, almost two and a half hours to me. Mm-hmm. Uh the costuming, the setting, the the acting uh, between Daniel Day-Lewis as Bill the Butcher. Uh, I mean, I'm not personally a huge DiCaprio fan, but he was great in this movie. Uh, Cameron Diaz, uh, Jim Broadbent. It's just an amazing cast and a excellent look. How they recreated, again, that kind of feel of 1800s New York and what was going on. Um just a really good flick. I enjoy watching. I was my honorable mention because it is Daniel Day. It is the, I want to say that's the first movie that I remember sort of being aware of Daniel Day Lewis as sort of acting monster. Mm. Um, okay. And funny enough, I have a Daniel Day Lewis movie coming up in a second, but that he just acts his balls off in that film. Yeah. 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 He's dying. That's that movie. is just so it's like, it's just so fucking good and mm-hmm. brutal. So brutal. Oh, yeah. There's just like, he go. there's just blood splatter throughout. <laughs> oh, just remembering like I'm seeing scenes in my head. <laughs> um, to keep us on Daniel Day-Lewis, I am taking a Daniel Day-Lewis. This is a different period, but I think it fits. As I told you, mine get weird. Uh, the movie's from 1993. It also won a bunch of awards, received seven Academy Awards. It is about seven, the 1970s Ireland. Uh, it is in the name of the father. Smaller cast, you got Daniel Day-Lewis, Pete Postlewaite, and Emma Thompson as your main pieces. Um, basically, it is a historical story about uh, a man who, Jerry Conlon, in Belfast, got caught up in the IRA and the bombings. The So they thought he was one of the bombers. He gets caught up with this group called the Belfast Seven. He goes to prison wrongly. Um, and then in trying to coerce a confession and get him to turn on people, even though he, again, wasn't there. He knew the people that were involved in this tragedy. They They bring in his father and they arrest his father. So it's this sort of father and son story about the grimy grit of what the Irish people went through in the early 70s. Um, An amazing film, top to bottom. I don't know whether in this one it sort of fits as much as a period as a historical, but if you think of the 60s in America, take that and bring it into the sort of the seventies in Ireland where it's all very hippy dippy and it, it's all, we don't give a shit because they're sort of under the tyrannical thumb of the English. Um, but excellent movie. It is top to bottom. One of my favorite films. Very really? cool. Yeah. I need to, that's one I definitely need to watch. Yeah. And I, in looking sort of in the, when I put my list together, I'm like, you know, that's, this might not fit period film, but it really does sort of embody the period of the seventies in Ireland. I, so I think it fits. I, I think it does. I, I definitely have one on my list that, uh, I would, I will argue to the end of the day that it is a period piece as well. So I'm taking it. Yeah. I'll take that for a dollar. <laughs> All right. And back uh, to I guess the top. that's me. Right. Sure okay, is. So, um, 
All right, back, uh, uh, going back again to the 90s. Um, this one, though, is taking us to the, uh, I would say the 7th, no, it's the 16th century, the 1500s. We're going to go to Venice during the Renaissance period and look at a historical drama by the name of Dangerous Beauty. It stars Catherine McCormick as the lead heroine, Veronica Franco. And this is definitely a historical fiction period costume drama. It's a lot of words. Uh, <laughs> Veronica Franco was a real-life courtesan living in Venice during the Renaissance. She was a published writer, was lauded in her literary circles of the day, and she was also put on trial by the Inquisition when the plague struck. Oh, wow. Uh, where she actually ended up defending herself on charges of witchcraft to much success, uh, not just through her own uh personal defense, but because she happened to befriend and bed several of the wealthy nobles that ran the town. Uh, all of this is detailed in the film through much wit and heart, and it is uh, just, it's its its beautiful. Uh, I love the costumes. They're very opulent. Um, in Venice, you know, you think about Renaissance costumes, and you think about stuffy high necklines and, and big uh, skirts, uh, and just like everything's towering and covering women. Uh, yeah, not here. Um, you know, women, especially those that uh, hung around the wealthier men circles and uh, <laughs> played their various charms on them, had very uh, stunning and open costumes. Right. Uh, and I love them. It's just it's a lot of it's just beautiful. I mean, I think when I first watched the film, uh, I watched it for the costumes. When I watched it the second time, I watched it for Catherine McCormick. McCormick's extremely strong wit because there's there's a whole scene where she actually has a sword fight with a guy, uh, basically the nice guy of the film. Um, uh, he ends up being the one to press charges against her uh, because she wouldn't have sex with him. And uh, she's doing this whole fencing thing while throwing uh, poetic barbs his way. It's very funny. She even tears her skirt off and runs around in pantaloons. Very scandalous for the time. Um, again, don't know how historically accurate that scene was, but it's great for a film. And uh, definitely one I would say that both the men and women would enjoy if you're wanting to kind of dive into something that's a little bit on the racy side. Yeah, this I, I threw up on Google Images and every picture she just she is a stunner. Like she is. She is. They, actually, they, they show the picture with her with the fencing foil. Uh, yeah, I love that. That's always, again, that's on one of my, like, I want to recreate that outfit just to have. I don't know what I'd do with it, but I'd love to. <laughs> but yes, there it. seems to be a lot of corsets and uh, heaving. Yes, lots <laughs> of heaving. Many, many, many heaves. <laughs> Where are you at, Rob? So <clears throat> I drift to a, we go back across from uh, back. United States back over to England or more directly a Scotland. Uh, 1995's Braveheart is my third choice. Funny enough, uh, uh, the same uh, woman in Dangerous Beauty was the was in Braveheart. Yes. Tying things oh, together. Oh, very cool. There you go. Uh, story of William Wallace, not the most historically accurate portrayal of his story uh but it was gangbusters in the theater it was basically pop culture for the time i think it was what created the massive drive for kilts that you can still see to this day at various renaissance festivals across the country uh i will say that this was the first non-Rocky horror movie that me and a bunch of friends actually got dressed up in our Ren Fair garb and kilts and went to go see this in the theater. Uh, just good stuff. 
it's we come from the same, you know, Renaissance festival age. And yeah, the, the years of Braveheart, the next year, including myself and the people I went and saw Braveheart with, we all had kilts with matching tartans and there were fellowships and brotherhoods and yep. one of the few films I've seen multiple times in the theater. Uh, yeah, because I, I want to say Braveheart and Rob Roy came uh, right around the same time. Yes. Yeah, I um, think they did. So those were two very big kilt-wearing movies. Uh, yeah, it definitely made an impact on the uh, Renaissance Festival costuming. Yeah, 95 Rob Roy came out. Braveheart was 95. Yeah, so same yeah. year. Same year. Yeah, I, would, I, I remember I went to... My fir- I worked my first Renaissance Fair in, in 96, and I would definitely say that Braveheart is, is, the, is what brought kilts to the world. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, it's a great one. I, I have well, nothing more to say. Fair. Yeah, I have nothing. Yeah. I mean, that was a, yeah, it was great. I wouldn't say brought kilts to the world. Let me amend that, you know, but it made them popular. No, Especially yeah. Especially the, the Dragon Con crowd, I would say, too. It brought them to the mainstream. Yeah, the mainstream. That's the word I was looking for. There we go. Always here to help. <laughs> Thank you. Words words are not my friend most and of the time. And then Jenny Breeden since then has been trying to remove kilts, one leaf blower at a time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, my next one is, I'm going to say, so this movie had some sequels. It's a bit more of a pop culture film. Probably, you want to know what? It's probably comparable to the Kirsten Dunst uh, Elizabeth in so much as it's, there's a little bit of rock and roll in it. Uh, but I would definitely say it is a period piece, much less so than its sequel. It is from uh, old turn of the century, Lincoln County, New Mexico, Young Guns. Oh. Now it's the first, I would say the second one's much more of like an action yeah. flick, you know, ensemble. All these people are now famous, mm-hmm. but, uh, this is, let me see what year was this? 90, I was 88. So yeah, the yeah. Brat Pack was all sort of established at that point, but, uh, you got Emilio, Kiefer, Lou Diamond Phillips, Charlie Sheen, Dermot Mulroney, Casey Smazko, Terry O'Quinn plays their, their sort of grandpappy, um, John Tunst- John Tunstall is played by Terrence Stamp. Mm-hmm. It is the the story of the cattle wars, the Lincoln County cattle wars in 1877 through 1878. Um, that one I feel paints the the old West in this really sort of gray and dark and, and beige palette. Uh, it is such a good movie about the connection of all of these people. Cause none of them are good dudes, but they all sort of have their honor to defend. And, um, one of the only Westerns that I really have enjoyed <laughs> with maybe the exception of like true grit. Um, Oh, that's a shame. I love Westerns. And I think I, 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 I wish I, I liked them more. Just- I have to say, like, it's a good, you know, it's interesting because because Westerns as a genre, while they definitely could fall under period pieces, it's it's they really are their own style of film. Sure. But I would definitely say Young Guns uh, because of how it drama, dramatizes that particular time it would definitely fall under a period film. And and you're our, you're our judge and officiant in yes, all things period films. So um, even if it's wrong to the rest of the internet, if I say it, it's correct. So I say it's a period film. Yes, taking it. 
But if if you've never seen the Young Guns films, I'd say watch both of them because they both are great for what they are. But the first one's much more serious and sort of much more uh, much more about the world than it is about uh, William H. Bonney. Yes, and wasn't wasn't the director of that also the guy who directed? No. Yes, he did do Karate Kid. Uh, is it correct? Uh, let me see. It's Christopher Kane. And or he did. He at least did the next Karate Kid. I don't know if he did the original Karate Kid. Running through his references. Yep, he did the yep. next Karate Kid. Okay. All right. That's yep. fine. You re- wait. <laughs> Just that's take it. That's fine. Take... <laughs> I guess I'll 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 allow that. Um, I just, I'm trying to like, look and be like, how come I'm not familiar with what else he's done? Cause he's done, um, mm, yeah. you know, mm, he's, yeah. he's done some things. He's done a couple things. I will say the, the movie poster for this was like, you didn't need to know anything about what this movie was about. You didn't need to know about Tunstall or the Lincoln County Warriors or any of this stuff. The movie poster is the six of them dressed as cowboys with the sheriff badges on and like, and their names. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like this was banked as the ensemble cast. Um, but yeah, I agree. This movie was, was pretty amazing. I think I like this one better than the sequel. Yeah, for sure. As a note, even he... though, you know, John Bon Jovi gets shot in the sequel. That's so. true. Tom Cruise gets shot in the first one. I think he's so, he? uh, yeah, he's, un- he's unlisted. He went to go visit people on set. He was friends oh. with, and uh, he's cool. third dead guy to the left when you're not looking. Well, see, that definitely makes the first one better for me. Yeah, and as also, a no- you- go ahead. Oh, go on. No, was, go on. I was going to say Christopher Kane also did uh, the principal with James oh. Belushi. Come on, oh yes, <laughs> fantastic, <laughs> great film. two in the morning USA Network film. <laughs> That's true. You were no, saying- I was just thinking. Oh, it just for it's you know harkens back to a a. a different time a different period when charlie sheen wasn't as crazy as he is today and everybody thought amelia westavez was going to be the biggest star in the world i know well he's still a star to me that's why we watch free jack together yeah (laughs) okay um i guess that means it's my turn on that note sure we're just gonna move over um okay so obviously you'll notice a theme with me uh so in 2008, a movie from Saul Dibb came out starring Kira Knightley, Ralph Fiennes, Dominic Cooper, and a very young and very sassy Haley Atwell, and it's called The Duchess. It's another historical drama based on the life of Georgiana, the Duchess of Devonshire. She was quite the woman of her time uh, in England. She was considered like the main fashion guru. People would style themselves after her constantly. She also dabbled in politics, uh, constantly uh, helping raise uh, the popularity of her chosen candidates. She also uh, died of very tragic life uh, when her husband, who she was forced to marry, um, decided that uh, he was going to keep cheating on her and then eventually just cheated on her with her very good friend played by Haley Atwell. And the three of them lived together in some sort of arrangement, uh, though sadly, at least as the movie tells it, uh, Georgiana, while it was okay for Ralph Fiennes to cheat around, uh, she fell in love with Dominic Cooper's Charles Gray and that relationship was banned from her and she was not allowed to enjoy uh, the private side of life and she eventually just kind of died from illness uh, hmm. or heartbreak 
break, however you want to take it. But uh, drippingly gorgeous costumes. Um, it's I didn't even realize it was Haley Atwell um, on one of my sub- subsequent viewings after I had watched. Because this is a movie I watch at least once a year, if not multiple times a year. But after having watched... Um, why am I blanking on her Marvel character's name? Oh, Peggy Carter. Peggy Carter, uh, Agent Carter. I had recently had or I'd watched, you know, when Agent Carter came out, had watched The Duchess again. Didn't even realize it was her until I was doing research some years ago. And I was like, holy shit, it's Haley Atwell. Anyways, uh, gorgeous film. Um, definitely deep in the drama um, and and more on that commercial style side of things and Kira Knightley, the period drama goddess that she is, uh, does a fantastic job. And I will even say there's a monologue from that film that has become part of my audition monologue repertoire mm. because it is just so fucking good. Yeah. Helly Atwell, just on that aside, uh, she's one of those actresses that I don't, it wasn't until Peggy Carter that I sort of noticed her and then realized, Oh, she's been in all of these things. Yeah. Like she's been around, in, in Hollywood, sort of bubbling under the surface for a while. There's a few actors yeah. and actresses like that. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of it is because she she comes from the British side of things, and Agent Carter was really her first like big step into the American foothold of Hollywood. That we I think is when you know maybe most uh, American audiences took note of her. Mm-hmm. But uh, I love her, I love her, and it makes me appreciate her character of Bess all the more. This movie looks like it has a lot of, um, you know, the big wigs, big dresses. Oh, very, big... very big. Everything's big. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's it's great. I just, I love it. It's 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 just a, I know, it's a, it's a good, succinct story. You've got the beginning, middle, and end. It wraps itself up really nicely. It, it ticks all the, the boxes I love in historical period costume romance dramas. Um, yeah. And and it's and, and and again, looking into the real life of Georgiana uh, of Devonshire, she's just equally a fascinating woman. Excellent. And that's another one that like I a part of me goes, I probably would enjoy this. How come I never noticed yeah. it before? Yeah, I think you would. Given if 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 you like Rob Roy and you like Braveheart, yeah. It is definitely on, I mean, obviously not like on the fighting side of things, right, but right. A, on that production quality. Mm-hmm. Rob, so uh, this next movie is probably well, it is the movie that got me into uh, things like tabletop role playing and Dungeons and Dragons, and probably what got me first interested in. Uh, Renaissance festivals, that whole kind of feel to it. Uh, it has also been uh, acknowledged for its importance to the Irish filmmaking industry and helped launch the careers of actors such as Liam Neeson, Patrick Stewart, and Gabriel Byrne. 1981's Excalibur. Mm-hmm. It's if, if there's a list about period movies, it's, I can almost like picture that you're just, I just know you're going to put yeah. in Excalibur. You love this movie. It's love this movie. I mean, I still think it holds up. There are there are things that that I can watch with a slightly more critical eye now. Uh, but overall, uh, this interpretation of uh, Mallory's Lamorte Arthur is the one I enjoy the most. Uh, it's it's just got a great cast. Uh, the uh, Nigel Terry, who was in your first movie that you mentioned, is also in this yes. as King Arthur. Uh, you've got Nicole Williamson as Merlin. 
uh, Helen Mirren as Morgana, Liam Neeson, oh. Gabriel Byrne as Uther Pendragon, uh, Patrick Stewart, Leona Grant. It's just the epic scale of this movie uh, is immense, and it it feels almost similar to like a Braveheart or a Star Wars in the fact that it it doesn't just feel like hey, this is a film about people at this place doing this thing. It is. It feels epic. It just yeah. feels massive and, like, ground-shaking in what this movie is portraying. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first watched, watched it, and it must have been on television. I definitely didn't see it in the theaters, and I was glued to the TV because every character was just like brought to life in in such i I think epic epic, you know when you say epic you think about uh the iliad and the odyssey and excalibur is definitely an epic and this movie is an epic you know up up on those levels of epic films um and i don't think it gets enough love you don't hear a lot of people talking about excalibur these days and i feel like everyone should go rewatch it oh absolutely I think it might get a bad rap because the director of this also did Zardoz. <laughs> a very different period of film. Yeah. Wow. No. Oh. <clears throat> okay. Well. But we, that yeah. being said, yeah, Excalibur definitely definitely need to check out Excalibur. Look if at you this. haven't watched it, if you have, if you have, but you haven't watched it recently, watch it again. Okay. I'm wearing I red will. spandex. i am moving way back and again i'll just keep apologizing for not knowing precisely where period film lie and where fictionalized fun comes (laughs) um because mine is a big action big historical ish drama probably a little less uh true than braveheart I went with Gladiator. I okay. I would say I don't see. I mean, if if Ex, uh, Excalibur, which is based on a fictional piece of work in a somewhat you know in a real medieval time period, Excalibur, or I mean, sorry, uh, 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 Gladiator totally is. It's done again. It, yeah, done. It's just yeah. Um, it's a, yeah. It's a I Roman. have to second that just because it's 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 the whole point of. The movie it's set around uh, the fighting of the slaves in the Roman Colosseum, right. and that's yeah. a very definitive point in history. So, All right. absolutely, I'm yeah, taking it. Hundred uh, percent. If you've not seen it, go hit pause, spend two and a half hours watching Russell Crowe run around in a loincloth. Come back. Uh, you have Russell Crowe as Maximus, Joaquin Phoenix in until Joker, probably my favorite role I'd ever seen him in. Um, cause he just plays that sniveling prick so well, uh, lording over Maximus in the arena, the, the battle sequences, the, the setting, all of it. It's just a I mean, gorgeous movie. It, it, it brought thumbs up or thumbs down into pop culture. <laughs> not just, not just the killings. Yes. Not just the killings, <laughs> but how do you kill or do you let oh, them live? Love it. Um, it. I saw that and I want to say 300 around the same time. Now 300 is almost pure, you know, it's almost pure fiction yeah, based yeah. in like a very like teensy based in like one line in your history textbook. Uh, but they both, uh, 
we're going to have words about that. So, so I, I would, yeah, I would, I'm, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. Like 300 is a fantasy movie Yeah. where, where gladiator is a period drama. I would, I would say yes. And there's nothing wrong with fantasy movies, but. Yeah. I'm, I'm now curious as to what we'll have words about. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going to throw this out there. The movie, yes, is a fantasy yeah, that's what I'm talking about. of what happened. Yeah, yeah, But that event, like, it's still taught in military schools for tactics. Really? Okay, fair. Because, yeah, I mean, it, Because yeah. that, that event literally happened. Yes, I know that. in the way, you know, with all the, the airbrushed abs that they showed in the movie <laughs> and the, and the, the very s- monochrome kind of color scheme. And the 10-foot no, tall giant man. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but no, but the thing actually happened and like that strategy and tactic, they still teach in military academies. Right. It's just, it's can, can you, can Frank Miller really do a period piece? That's the question. Is it? Well, that wasn't Frank Miller. That was, I mean, that was Zack Snyder did the movie. Oh yeah. That's But it's based on, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. Panel by panel. It's based on Frank Miller. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but you're right. It is based on, it is actually based on more of a real event than uh, that's fair. So, so let's see. Um, Oh, well, Wikipedia says it's an American period action piece. So. Damn it. (laughs) The one thing I I say isn't. The world if says it is. Media says it's a period film, then it is definitely it, it trumps me. <laughs> so, yep, Gladiator. If you want to watch uh, lions' heads explode and just gorgeous set pieces, uh, chariot races, all of it, every D and D trope that I've stolen, right there. It's beautiful, Meredith. Okay, so for for my final one to uh, finish things off, um, this one might be contested. It's also not a movie. It's a television series. It takes place in the 80s in rural America. Uh, It is an FX TV show starring Carrie Russell and Matthew Rice. It's The Americans. I love that show. I love it, too. And anyone who says it's not a period drama can fight me on it because it is very much big into costumes. I mean, how many times do they they dress up? Uh, Mm -hmm. It takes it it definitely is taking a huge chunk of period during the end of the Cold War. uh, And we get to see it, though, through the lives of a handful of people as they experience it. And I I, it it might be more of a modern period drama, but I'm going to say that the Americans is a period drama and it's probably one of the best TV dramas to date. Yeah, what I love about the Americans is not not just um, the sort of espionage and intrigue. It is very much that the '80s itself is a is a representative culture, and the '80s uh, technological and '80s spy tech. Yeah. All of that is all very very specific to that era. Um, I'm a huge fan of '80s hack culture. So that they're doing freaking in there and that they're using, you know, um, old school phone on receiver modems to tie it all together. Excellent. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. And, and, and also, you know, to that point, I used to do the, um, the, Americans roundup show for TYT, uh, just, just the flick. And I would always tell people, you know, while it's a spy drama, it's really a story about family. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that's why it's so successful because while it has this one genre that it falls into spy thriller, it's really a story about people and family. And, and I think that's to me why it's one of the most successful shows because it doesn't rely on a trope 
to get through every week. It relies on the stories of the people that exist in that world. And, and they're wonderful and sad stories. Uh, also, one of the few shows that I actually really like when it ended, I was I was happy with the ending, like the ending worked for me, you know, um, so many shows, people complain about how it ends. I was like, no, this works for this show very well. Yeah. The, the, from the, the costuming to the soundtracks, the, the music in that show is so good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, the houses are very eighties wood panel and sort of just off the cusp of the seventies. Everything about that show is, is immaculate. Well, yeah, even Philip, you know, when he, he's driving the old station wagon yep. and then he gets like the new fancy car. Like I loved like even I don't know, like stuff like that, like those little attention to details, the, the from from the directors of the episodes to the producers, the showrunners, the writers, the actors, everyone involved uh, brought their A game. And, and I hope even though now it's off the air, I hope more people will go back and watch the show in its entirety because it, it was so fucking good. I think it's going to age well. I think as, I as time moves on, it's only going to become sort of more acknowledged as a, as a good show that was here and gone that people may have missed because it was on, you know, like FX and, and Amazon Prime and things like that. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> we move to Rob. So this is, as much as I love Excalibur for its uh, fantasy D&D-ness, the, you know, story of uh, King Arthur-ness, my all-time favorite period historical piece uh, is also a biographical drama uh, from 1984, uh, Amadeus. I love, love, love this movie. I will never not watch this movie whenever it's on. Uh, the story of uh, Amadeus's rise among uh, composers, told posthumously by uh, his rival, who still. Uh, ended up, you know, in hindsight with respect for him, uh, Antonio Salieri. Uh, just a great cast. You've got F. Murray Abraham, Tom Hulse, uh, Elizabeth Berridge, Simon Callow, Christine Ebersole, Jeffrey Jones. Uh, it is a, a great, great movie. The costuming is amazing. The music is amazing. The cinematography is great. Uh, definitely the top on my list. You know, that is one that has come up a lot recently, uh, suggestions from my various, uh, you know, streaming services that says, if you like this, you should watch this. And it's been uh, more than a hot minute since I've seen Amadeus. And I think I know what I'm going to put on when I'm hand sewing some pleats down today. There you um, go. Because you're right. It is a, a gorgeous film. And I don't remember much at all about it since I, I, I've, I've only seen it maybe once, if not maybe partially twice. Yeah, it was a, it was a movie that was on in my house. My, I think my brother really, really liked it. And for some reason, I just don't, I never watched it. Although I remember I can distinctly see like the powdered faces and the costumes with the big wigs mm -hmm. and like yeah. I can see it in my head. Yeah, it's definitely worth, definitely worth watching. Uh, 2019, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Oh, wow. For being culturally, culturally historically, and aesthetically significant. Hmm. All right, then. It is definitely going on on the watch list while I'm working on this project. There you go. 
And for my final one, I am going to uh, a movie that probably everybody ever has ever seen. It's a period film called Star Wars. Kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to see whether you were paying attention. Uh, No, I went with Titanic. uh, Because if there's one movie that sort of paints a period for me and one that I know fairly backwards and forwards, having seen it with whether it be, you know, girlfriends that forced me to see it or with the riff tracks, which is amazing. FYI. Um, (laughs) It's a great movie about the haves and have nots on the big giant boat that inevitably gets very, very damp. Uh, Just a bit. Just Just a little little moist. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, the room went silent. Did both of you dislike Titanic? No, I love Titanic. Oh, okay. oh my God. I, even my, even uh, my, my, uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, prom dress was based off of one of the gaudy dresses Kate Winslet wore in it. So oh, I know I full on loved Titanic. Um, if I, mean, I, it feels like it's one of those movies where there's not even much to say about it because it's so iconically well known. Um, but the, my favorite thing about that film is that the, there's the distinct cutoffs between the haves and have nots. And if you pay attention to the scenes that have, you know, Kathy Bates and all of them drinking mint juleps on the top deck, if you pay attention to the background, you see the little, you see the bilge rats in the background, sort of in the corners. It's, there's a lot of attention to to where the big are and where the small are and the costumes and, and the music and the dance scene, all of it. Love that movie. This is so good. Yeah. It's not one that I saw in the theaters. Uh, and I kind of resisted watching it for a while just because of all of the crazy hype about it. Um, but yeah, I will say when I did see it, uh, it it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, it gives you that kind of feel that before uh, the ship leaves, it, it gave me that same kind of feel that I get from watching like Gangs of New York or stuff like that because of the, the time frame and how they portray the city before the Titanic actually sets sail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, it does a very good job of distinguishing all those different classes and how they're portrayed and how they react to each other. Uh, just very well done. And who plays a better scumbag than Billy Zane? Oh, oh God, I know. Bill, Billy Zane as Billy Zane is <laughs> one of my favorite uh, cameos in Zoolander. Oh yes, forgot about that. <laughs> There's a the the moment that I I will forever and a day every time I watch Titanic now remember is if you ever get a chance to see the riff tracks, the first time they show him he's standing there on the deck and he does this sort of. It's almost like the beginning of an 80s sitcom. Like he does a three quarter turn and looks over his shoulder and Mike Nelson just goes, the Zane train has arrived. (laughs) And it makes me laugh every time. It's what I think of every time I see him now. That's so good. I Uh, love it. Yeah, I love and I love I love who doesn't love Titanic. You're a monster if you don't love Titanic. Even if it's only for just watching like the the special effect bonanza of the thing fall down yeah. into the murky depths. Or or really just for the old couple. Yes. Considering that there's been a number of YouTube videos over the past couple of weeks showing uh, musicians like violinists and cellists <laughs> in 
tuxedos and life preservers standing in the toilet paper aisles, empty in grocery stores, (laughs) playing the same song. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. If for only that reason. Brilliant. Uh, Right. Stuff. I mean, my honorable mention was uh, was Gangs of New York. So I'm I'm out. What you guys? You guys got anything else? I have one honorable mention, and it's probably a very, very silly movie, but it is a movie, again, that I love watching. Uh, it's Walt Disney's Three Musketeers. Oh, that's such a good uh, – it's so fun. It, really, that's exactly what it is. Are. It is a yeah. fun – it's almost, almost Young Guns in France. It is. Almost. It I has that same great, kind of feel. I li- that is a great description of it. Oh, young uh, guns. Sorry. Yeah, I know. So my, my, it's funny that ties into my honorable mention, which is man in the iron mask, uh, because oh, I love go. a good three musketeers story. And, uh, that one, um, again, Jeremy irons can never go wrong, uh, when he's involved, but that, I mean, it's stellar cast, um, just in just a really good action film, which is the yep. one out of those two with Gerard Depardieu. Is that iron mask? Iron mask. Yeah. Okay. Mask. Yeah. Couldn't remember. Excellent. Hey, well, I think I think we covered the gamut of period films, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. This is pretty much. We had every period. (laughs) Every period. All the dots. We we made all the dots. All of them. (laughs) This is an ellipses episode. It is. Well, Meredith, why don't you tell everybody where they can find all things Meredith Blackham? Not much these days. Um, I've taken like a weird sabbatical retirement from the internet. Uh, I've kind of gone into hiding. Um, but I'm still somewhat active on Twitter where you can find me at mplaco. And every once in a while, I'll post things on Instagram at mplaco. Uh, though I post a bit more on my tarantulas Instagram because I started collecting tarantulas last year because they're cool and why the fuck not? So House of Nopes. <laughs> Yes, that is House of Nopes. Um, uh, I, I, lately these days, uh, you can find most of my stuff on TurboDork.com. I've been helping my boyfriend run his paint company. We make acrylic paint for the uh, decisive hobbyists. So if you like to paint little 40K, Warhammer 40K or Dungeons and Dragons figures, we've got metallic and turbo-shipped paint for sale. Yes, we're still shipping because we're, it's just the two of us. It's like literally Greg and I. Um, so unless – and we don't have COVID, so you won't have COVID. <laughs> and um, my life has been quiet because I've been, uh, like I said, taking a sabbatical. And I spent a year last year uh, traveling and maybe working on a movie. Ooh. Yeah, I can't say too much about it. Um, but uh, I uh, never in my life – have ever thought I would be an actor. Uh, but now I am an actor. I've, I've You've said that with the right the gravitas. Yes, with that. You have to. When you're an actor, you obviously have to talk about being an actor all the time. <laughs> so now I am an actor uh, in a very small independent film uh, directed by a dear friend and mentor of mine um, that, again, I can't say much, but if you know how to use the internet and IMDb, uh, I hear there are such things out there. Um, it is a, a very cool project. I am very 
fucking over the moon to be uh, part of. I don't know when it's coming out now because uh, with everything, I was supposed to go and film uh, a pickup uh, and then quarantine hit. Um, so hopefully sometime I can go finish that last scene. But uh, the director has been working on all the special effects. He's actually, there's a lot of uh, practical models and he's been hand building the models himself. Cause, oh, wow. uh in, in his in his off time, he's actually a huge uh, model builder. Um, he's a, he's a great photographer, but he he has done model work, um, and so he's been building all the models himself. And it's a uh, little sci-fi, a little post uh, futurism, a lot dystopian. And I play the lead character, and um, it's it's been an incredible project. I'm I'm I can't wait for it to come out and people can see all the hard work everyone's put in. And I mean, like, you know, you talk about passion projects and this is a hundred percent a passion project. Uh, you know, we're all giving our, our 150%. I've done all my own costuming for the film, hmm. uh, which was really awesome. Cause actually when the director contacted me, I thought he was actually asking me to just do costumes for the film. I did not expect him to want me to act. I'm not an actor at all. I are now. Well, I am now. Uh, I've taken many acting classes now. Uh, so yeah. So so when uh, when the movie comes out, uh, I'll let everyone know. Uh, in the meantime, Google Meredith Placco and IMDb, and maybe you can find something uh, more than what I'm allowed to talk about. <laughs> and Rob is the one who showed me uh, your your paint world. It is so super cool. Those paints are uh-huh. neat. Yay. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, so much of that is my boyfriend. Um, he is uh, he he had this crazy idea uh, about two years ago now, and 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 so he's a big forty k player and thirty k, and he wanted uh, a metallic purple for his emperor's children army, and he says I'm going to make a metallic paint, and I'm like cool, huh? have fun, you know, enjoy. <laughs> Um, yes, I mean, dear. it was just, I mean, no, it was kind of like, whatever, cool. You're just going to make a paint for yourself. All right. You know, I've mixed, I've mixed, uh, opaque with metallic paint before for cosplay, whatever. No, I didn't realize like he was going to make paint, not mix two colors together, but formulate his own basis, uh, of acrylic medium with his own pigments and, and make a paint. And then six months later, he had like 12, 15 paints of various uh, properties. And he says, I've made these paints. I have about 30 of them. I will put them on the internet to sell. And I'm like, all right, cool. Have fun, honey. Enjoy selling your paints. Uh, four hours later, we got contacted from the third largest gaming distributor in the United States wanting to carry our paint line. It's amazing. Yeah, of, of paints that we literally had little in dropper bottles and like little like shittily printed labels on. And then... Uh, and then suddenly we had a paint company, so I, I jumped into like the marketing and design part, and uh, and uh, now we have fifty paints of various metallic and turbo shift properties. I have developed like eighteen colors, which is amazing. In fact, we're formulated currently in the process of formulating uh, a line that I'll be um, another one of my lines. I'm really excited about. And yeah, so turbo dork paint. That's what I do now. Paint. Who knew? <laughs> And I act and I paint. If even if you even if you're listening to this and you are not a, a model painter, I'm not a model painter. Go look at the turbo shift paints and the metallic, you know, all of the colors because they have great names. Because <clears throat> they're 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 nerdy in the way you'd expect. Like if I was to say multipass, if you're thinking <laughs> bright fluorescent orange, you're on the right track. If yep, you yeah. 
but the the turbo shifts, the ones that go from like one color to another, I didn't even know paints did this. I didn't even know it's it was magic. a possibility. I know. A bubblegum crisis. I was like, oh my God, I love that color. Because it goes from like that sort of peachy orange to bright bubblegum pink. Yeah. And dark net, which goes from black to like a, a deep, like a gray cyan. Like it's so cool. It's thank you. Thank Sorry. you so much. And I will tell Greg, um, no, I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. And, and it's not just for mini painters. I've, I've sold, uh, paints to cosplayers, um, using it for props, uh, skateboard artists, uh, a guy who does fishing lures <laughs> has, uh, really gotten into our paints. So it's, it's really kind of amazing to see how many people, uh, have been using turbo dork paints, uh, on various projects. So, uh, yeah, I'll have to get some paints out to you guys just to play with. I don't know. And, I'll find paint something up. to paint. That dark yep, net yeah. makes me want to like live in a cyberpunky, cybertopian nightmare. So right, I know it's perfect for these times. Well, Mister Rob, what else you got? Anything? Uh, I think we're good. And I will say yes; those paints are badass. I'm, I'm going to ask, what's your favorite armor to play? Oh, me? Um, so I'm currently building a new Sisters of Battle, uh, though I tend to play more Age of Sigmar, and I'm all about my triple, so Sylvaneth all the way. Okay. Yeah. I, I got out of it before Sigmar came around. Uh, I was very much uh, a uh, Space Wolves and Eldar. Oh, oh, yeah, the Eldar. Always fun. The Eldar yeah. look good in our colors, too. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Where, Absolutely. Where I always played games, I the one or two mini games I got into both died like after their first year to year in program. James, you know what? I'm you know what those Turbo Dark paints would look amazing on? Please tell me. Your uh Doom that came to Atlantic City figures. Oh, you're right. They would look fantastic oh. on those. So the the short version for you, Meredith, is there was a game I kickstarted a while back, which was a Lovecraft Monopoly called the Doom, the Doom that came to Atlantic City. But as with all Kickstarters run by people for the first time, they didn't know what they were getting into. The money was Aww. bad, like problems with Japan for the first batch of things. So then that cost more money. And then it got to the point where like just wasn't happening. Yeah. Um, which gaming company was it? One of the board gaming companies, the one that puts out Penny Arcade stuff, uh-huh. um, said, look, we're just going to buy everything whole cloth so we can have the license and we're going to fulfill your orders. So we finally got it. But the minis are these gorgeously um, silly, lovecrafty and Looking at them minis. right now. They, yes, they are so cool. Also, Keith Baker uh, was one of the designers on this game. He's one of my favorite game designers. Yes, uh, he, Cryptozoic he, yeah. is yes. the company. Yeah. Cryptozoic, thank you. Yeah, so um, this looks super awesome and super fun. Oh, my God, I love these minis. Yeah, when he like when he was telling me the whole sordid story of this whole thing, uh, after Cryptozoic had bought him out, apparently like an email went out that said, hey, we know you've heard this before, but uh, we're delaying stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and people kind of like were like, oh, OK. And they were like, no, here's why. Here's pictures of our figures. And people went nuts over these figures. And their email continued to say, but they're not good enough for us. <laughs> so oh. we're redoing them to make them look even better. Oh, my God. So yeah. when he got this thing finally in the mail yeah, and I looked at it like. I don't know if there's any really good pictures that give you a sense of scale. Oh yeah, they're big. That Cthulhu, Are they? that Cthulhu image kind of sitting on that cube. Yeah, that thing's got to be like three or four inches tall. Oh, that's like it's so not just like cool. little, 
little Monopoly figures. Uh, oh, man. It's, uh, they're amazingly detailed, and you get yourself some Turbo Dork paints and throw them on those, yeah. and those are going to look ridiculous. They really would. Yeah, you got to, you know, after the, after the show, shoot me an email. Tell me what colors you want, and I'll send some your way. All right. Um, if yeah. I must. Um, and I think I think we can even work out a thing that maybe we can do a giveaway on on one of the shows or one of your social medias for some some Turbodork paints. I think uh, you might know the head of marketing for Turbodork. <laughs> uh, I might be able to just get that signed off for you right now. Yeah, maybe, maybe you can put uh, us okay, in yeah, touch with looks her. Looks good. Just yeah, okay, it. I think we can do that. Yeah, we're good. We're blue sky in this. <laughs> Yeah, this looks so cool. I'm actually going to have to um, hit up one of my... Uh, I'll have to hit up my local gaming store and see if they can get this in stock. If not, I can talk to my distributors. So yeah, I, I don't know whether it's still in print. I mean, you might... Good luck. Yeah. I, I hope I hope you can get a copy because it's... The game is fun too. Like it's a it it's super fun. The occasional afternoon game. It's not an, it's not an every time snack. Yeah, no, that's really good. If nothing else, try to get my hands on some miniatures. Um, I will say, like having now moved into the world of board games, I, I tend to find people who have things that don't exist anymore. And if I say I want them, and uh, and they say I have them, then I say how much, and then they usually say for paints. So I send them paints, and then usually ah, that's just there you go. So yeah. So money and paints can usually get you a lot of things Make in this world, I've learned. Well, right, I think wow. that covers the world. It does. Uh, Absolutely. It's timing because the boyfriend, it smells like lunch is ready. And I, I, I knew I, he's been roasting sweet potato for mm. the last hour and a half because we're doing some sort of taquito taco thing. I love sweet potatoes. I know, me too, especially in tacos. Rob, where can they find everything about us? You can go to somethingcast.com. That is our website, our repository for all of our podcast episodes. It also has all the links and widgets and doodads to our Twitter and our Facebook and our email. We got uh, and also you can find a link to shop.somethingcast.com to uh, my Scratch the Surface glass etching website or James's vinyl website, Really Shameless Vinyl, uh, and to our various and sundry t-shirt websites that we have. Uh, definitely go check us out. Uh, Meredith, thank you again as always. Always a pleasure talking to you. When you do have more to talk about this movie, uh, you will definitely have to come back on so we can let everybody know where they can find it. Yes, for certain. I will. I will not shut up about it because it was a year <laughs> of my life. And I really just want everyone to appreciate actually the work everyone did. And you're an amazing. actor. You're I'm an actor. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am a great and lauded actor. I act so much that my cats uh, run away from me. They, they hate it, actually. They think it's terrible. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I'm going to go eat some tacos. Go eat some tacos. Uh, it was a pleasure. As always, thank you, my friends. Also, uh, Rob, thank you for our Turbo Dark Glass. Uh, oh, I can absolutely. vouch for your etching. We, we quite love it. It is a good uh, glass and, and many a dice holder. Ah, Very smart. cool. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, thank you. All right, and last thing last is if you happen to like video games, Rob and I, during quarantine, have been playing a lot of Minecraft together, so go to our Twitch, twitch.tv slash something something cast. But beyond that, we got nothing else. So, with that, I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob. I'm Meredith. Damn right you are. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Later. Something, 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 something. Okay, here we go.